The summer after my freshman year in college, interesting time to finish your freshman year in college and to uh, come home for the summer. See, the difficult thing for parents when that happens is they sent you off, they think, as a child, but you're now on your own if you are away at school, and so you no longer consider yourself a child, and you return home, and mom and dad still think of you as that child, just a little bit bigger and more expensive. Well, that summer, I, I worked in a factory. This is a factory that uh, manufactured and actually installed grain elevator equipment. It's the stuff that if you drive by farms and you see the big round bends out there and you see pipes and stuff going out of it, this place, we made all those things. And uh, those big things, that uh, they had conveyor belts in them. You don't realize that. You don't see them. They're grabbing grain and hauling them all over the place. And I worked there that summer in shipping and receiving, which I, if the place was still open, I'd go back and apologize uh, for some things. But it was a memorable summer. It was one of two jobs I did that summer, but on my very first day at this factory. Now, working at shipping and receiving, I got to move around, which is probably the only way I would have survived if I'd have been standing on a line with my personality, I would have gotten fired. Uh, or one of the other people would have hit me, or both. I don't know, because I couldn't have stayed in that one spot. So they put me in a place where I could move around. And part of my thing was stocking some of the items. And we had these big metal shelving units uh, that went up three and four stories high all over the back end of, of where we would ship stuff out of. And somebody had to put them up there, and I was the new kid uh, literally, and so that was my job on the very first day. And they showed me kind of approximately where to go and said, the ladders are back there. And so I went back and I, I grabbed a big aluminum ladder, uh, leaned it up against the third or fourth tier. I don't remember which it was, just for the sake of sounding better. Let's say it was the fourth one. And um, I'm carrying up these metal sleeves, kind of like collars that connected different uh, runs uh, to each other. And I have taken a few up, and I'm taking another one up to put up on the very top level. And as I get up, and I'm reaching to set it down, an amazing thing happened. My ladder just went away. I grabbed a ladder with no rubber feet on the bottom of it, which OSHA would not have approved of. And I didn't approve of it in that moment either because this was concrete floor. And as I got to the very top to put that, the weight of that put too much pressure on the bottom and the thing just slid out from under me. So in midair, holding one of those things, and the next thing I knew, I am crashing down. What saved me is the fact that when the ladder slid, it only slid so far because there was another unit of shelves and it ran into that and then landed part of it on the very first shelf. So there was a little gap between the ladder and the concrete and I landed on the ladder before I bounced onto the concrete. My next thought that came to my mind was I had something in my hand when this started, a big metal object. Where is it? 
And I looked up, and it was up on the top shelf, just barely. It was partway on and partway off and teetering. But the really interesting thing happened next. While I'm still laying there going, am I alive? Is everything here? Is everything connected? I, I hear somebody go, hey, you okay back there? And I'm still just counting how many fingers and arms and legs I have and looking for pools of blood. And the next thing that I heard was two or three guys, as they're moving back toward me at the back of the warehouse, I hear them go, what's his name? <laughs> One of the other guys goes, you're the supervisor. You're supposed to know. He goes, what's his first day? I don't remember his name. So they, they come around the corner and I'm all sprawled out. Hey, how you doing? I go, I think I'm okay. And you know, got up and continued the work day. But the interesting thing is, I did that task the way I was supposed to. And I trusted the latter the way I thought I was supposed to. So I put literally all my weight and trust into that ladder. <clears throat> Epic fail. I never trusted that ladder again. The good news for all the other workers is they said, you know, we probably shouldn't let anybody else use this ladder again. <laughs> I go, you're welcome uh, for that, you know, bit of news. I trusted it. It looked good. It was solid. It should have worked. I'd been told, go back, grab one of the ladders. Trust is an interesting thing, isn't it? The first thing that comes to mind for me when I think of trust is difficult. Do you agree? Trust is difficult, especially in people. Why? Because they're people. Like we are. And sometimes we are not trustworthy. Our problem then is we're called to trust God. And we keep thinking of each other or that ladder. So we struggle and it's difficult to trust him. This morning what we're looking at is that it's time to trust God's call. Trust might be difficult, but trust, if I were going to define it, is trust is believing in faith and then acting on that belief. You can say you trust something or someone, but it's another thing when your kid gets their license to say, go ahead. I remember when our oldest drove out of the driveway by himself for the first time and Jody and I stood in the front window <laughs> hugging each other and crying. She was crying because her baby had grown up. I was crying, gone, please bring that car back in one piece. <laughs> Trust can be difficult. But you see, if I told him I trusted him and he asked to drive the car and I said, not on your life. He wouldn't have believed that I trusted him and he'd have been right. So how about God? 
Do you trust him to give him the keys to your life? Do you trust his call that you sense from him, what he wants you to do and how he wants you to live enough to where you go, okay. Trust, believing in faith and acting on that belief. You see, trust is being able to rest even in chaos. We have a great example of this in the Gospels, in the book of Mark, chapter 4. It's in the New Testament, the second book of the New Testament. Mark, chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 35, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Mark 4, 35 says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Why? Are you so afraid? It's time to trust his call. To trust his call on your life and for your life. To trust his call in what to do with your life. To trust his call in your life, first of all, you must realize that he has given you direction. God has already given you direction. It is awesome, a little scary sometimes, to realize that. Verse 35 that we just read, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go to the other side. Notice, he didn't say, Let's get out in the middle of the ocean and drown. Let's get halfway across the sea and just not make it. Let's get halfway across and then let's jump in and swim the rest of the way. Well, they wouldn't have gotten in the boat in the first place, right? We need to listen to what he's saying, to his call. And we need to realize these two facts. We all have a general call and a specific call or direction on our life. A general direction, a general call for anybody who's following Christ. Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission, verses 18 to 20. He said to go out, and as you go, wherever you go, as you're going, teach others, baptize them, meaning evangelize, help convert them, teach them to obey, disciple them. And he promises to be with us in that. Acts chapter 1, when they're all gathered after his resurrection, and he says to them, when the 
Holy Spirit, when the power comes on you, I want you to be my witnesses, starting right where you are in Jerusalem. Then go out a little further to the rest of Judea. Then out even further to those not like you at all into Samaria. And then as far as you can get. We all have a general call, a general direction that he's already given to us. But then we also, each one have a personal call, a personal direction for our life. It is that personal call. We've all been called to be followers and ministers for Jesus Christ. Our specific call has us serving, ministering, living for him in different ways. One of my hardest points in feeling God calling me into pastoral ministry was I had already felt his call as a school teacher and coach. I was loving it. Being Christ's light in the public schools and, and just, you know, oh, Lord, I know this is what you wanted. He said it was, and now here. But my argument was, but you said here, and I like it here. I don't think I'm going to like it there. Just being honest. We have that specific call, all of us, to be a minister for Jesus Christ and a, a, that general call and a specific call on how and where. For a while it was as a school teacher. Now it's as a pastor. But you all have a specific call. The general call we all have, we're followers of Christ, we're to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, showing and sharing the light. Uniquely disguised sometimes as school teachers. Uniquely disguised sometimes as factory workers. Uniquely disguised sometimes as homemakers. Uniquely disguised sometimes as secretaries. Uniquely disguised sometimes as the grunt who climbs the ladder and puts stuff up on the high shelf. But even when I was doing that, I had that call to be a minister of Jesus Christ. It's time we trusted his call. Here's the hardest part of this, for I think. I don't always understand his call. Even if I know it. That was me when I was teaching. It's like, no, Lord, this, come on. Look at this. Look where I am. Look what I'm going to do. I didn't understand that next call. But I was called to obedience, not understanding. And the interesting thing is when I took that, are you ready? Next right step. I began to understand a little more with each step. It's time to trust him, to trust God with the call that he has on your life. Part of the reason I'm doing the stuff I'm doing on Wednesday night, I forgot to mention it earlier on next steps for the next couple of weeks, just an introduction kind of to, to this whole thing of trying to match your call to follow Christ in the area of discipleship, learning about it ourselves, being able to share it with others for the next two weeks, Wednesday night, 6.30, in the Hatton Center. Come on out, 
just given an introduction to it, and after that you can choose if you want to do any more with it or not. But as we come to this, we come to this thing knowing that we have to figure out what's that next step. We already know the general call, but it's time to trust God's specific call also. Second, to trust God's call in your life, you not only need to realize you've been given a direction and try to recognize that direction, you need to remember that he is with you. Always. Period. He is with you. Yeah, but what? No, he's with you. Yeah, but what about over here? He's still with you. God is with you. You look at this, the passage we read, verses 36 and 37. It says, and leaving the crowd, he had been teaching a, a large crowd. And leaving the crowd, they took him, that's Jesus, with them in the boat. Because what? He had already given them direction. Let's go to the other side. So they got in the boat and they brought Jesus with them. Now, when the storm started, they kind of forgot he was with them. Especially since he was snoring. You go, the scripture doesn't say he was snoring. Oh, come on, we know he was. Makes me feel better if he was. About the fact that I've been accused of occasionally doing that. No proof. I've not heard it, but I've been accused of that. Whatever, whether he was or wasn't, he was asleep in the boat, but they forgot. He's the one that had called them to the other side. We need to remember he's with you. You are never alone. One of the beauties of what took place last Sunday morning in the baptism service, and I shared with each one of them ahead of time of getting baptized, was the fact that they were not alone. That you were with them, encouraging them, supporting them. So make sure you continue to do that. We're never alone, but we're especially never alone because Christ is always with us. And you're not, it's not just true that he is with you, he is also for you. Have you ever had somebody with you who wasn't on your side? Been in the midst of some people who were in close proximity, but you realized they do not have my back. My front, my side, they don't have anything. God is not only with you, he is for you. He's team you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you are not alone. He is for you. And he is with you and for you just as you are right where you are. Look at this in verse 36. They took him with them in the boat. Look at that next phrase. Just as he was. And that's how he takes us. Just as we are. Right now, in this space, in this place, at this time, with your current fears, with your current concerns, with your current hurts, with your current dreams, with your current wonderings about what comes next, 
He is with you and for you, even in that. One of the mistaken things that we quite often have is that we think we must clean ourselves up to come to Christ. And Satan takes advantage of that one. Not true. One, he's already there. He was already in the boat. He's already with you, wherever you are in your faith journey. He's with you. He is for you, just as you are. Now, he loves us enough, and that's a different sermon, to not leave us like that. But right where you are, wherever you are, just as you are, however you are, he is for you. Number three, to trust God's call in your life. We need to realize just because he seems silent, he was asleep, for goodness sake, doesn't mean that he has forgotten you. Just because he's silent in the moment doesn't mean that he's forgotten you. Verse 38 uh, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What a wonderful way to be awakened. Don't you care we're dying? Every parent has had a kid do something similar to them, right? <clears throat> More moms than dads because they seem to wake up a little better than dads for some reason. Now, sometimes it's serious. And sometimes it's, there's a shadow across my bed. Sometimes it matters. I don't feel good. Sometimes my sister's feet are on my side of the bed. We do the same thing to God. We sometimes yell, I'm dying here. And he's going, it's nothing. It's okay. I got this. I'm with you. It's not as big as you think it is in the moment. Some of you are going through a period of silence. Or at least that's what it feels like aren't you? It can be from all kinds of reasons. But this morning, I desperately want you to realize he has not forgotten you. He sees you, he hears you, and he is with you right now in whatever the questioning circumstance you are in. He's got you. Just as you are. Just as he is. He is with you. So what do we do when it's silent? Well, first of all, sometimes we need to wait. <clears throat> I'll confess, I don't like that period when that happens. I am not a good waiter. That's why I've never been a waiter. No, I, I, I don't wait well. But sometimes I have to. 
some of you may be in that waiting period. But usually, we need to keep doing what we already know to do. When I was going through that period of wrestling with God about leaving the teaching profession to become a pastor, I didn't quit teaching while I was trying to figure it out. I kept doing what I already knew while I was trying to figure this out. What you already know, continue to do until he tells you not to. If it's in a waiting period, you keep doing what you already know while you're waiting. It's really tempting when we're in that silent phase, even if we know we're at a time of waiting, to just stop. But we've been called with that general call, all of us, even if we have a moment where I'm not sure of the specific of what I'm to be doing right now. I remember several conversations with my dad in the last few years of his life. He was a pastor for 44 years and then he worked for Nazarene Publishing House for a few years and then for several more years he continued to go into nursing homes and retirement homes and, and minister and teach and, but there was a point he couldn't do that anymore and he would just keep saying well, I, you know, why am I still here I remember on more than one occasion saying dad well one thing I know you're supposed to still keep doing and that's keep praying for me <laughs> and my kids. One thing I know, Dad, you're supposed to keep doing what you already know that you still can do. And there's purpose in that. Oh, it's a lot easier for me to say it than it was for him living through it. I recognize that. But it was still true. And it's still true today. Whatever you're facing, even if it seems like God is silent right now, he has not forgotten you. If it's time to wait, wait for the next thing while you continue to do what he's told you to do unless he said, stop. Also, if we're going to trust God's call in your life, you need to realize you can trust him no matter what you are facing because he is still God. God is still God no matter what. No matter what you're facing. Verse 37, you know, a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was filling. I don't know if you've ever been in a boat or not. That's not a good thing. No matter the size of the boat, if it starts to fill, that means with water, that isn't good. Whether you're in a rowboat, a yacht, or a, a monster ship, that's not a good thing. But no matter what we're facing, he is still God. Verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why could he say that? Because he already told them we're going to the other side. And if God's called it, he's going to do it. First Thessalonians 5.24, the one who has called you is faithful and he will do it. 
If it's his call, if it's our call, there are no promises. And that's where we get confused, right? When we grab a ladder that doesn't really work and it falls, we blame God and it's like, did you look to see if it had any feet on it? And last, if we're going to trust God's call in our life, you need to believe that he will bring you through it. Verse 41, after he had calmed the sea, after he had asked them about their faith, it says they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So let me ask you, if even the wind and the sea must obey him, why wouldn't we? If the wind and the sea have to obey him, why can't we trust him? No matter what. Usually it comes down to a couple of things. One is he's not doing it in the right time, meaning our time, right? One of the reasons you begin to doubt is you're going, but I, I think this should happen now. But the question is, what does he think? We often have doubts. Our faith wavers and our trust fails because he's not doing it in our time. And I think another reason it fails is because we're afraid of what comes next. If I follow his call, then what? That was part of my fear in leaving teaching to become a pastor. What comes next? I know what happens if I keep doing this. I'm not so sure what happens if I keep doing, if I go on and do that. It's time to trust his call. Let me ask you, who have you put your trust in? Or what have you put your trust in? Does it really have any feet? What's your level of trust when it comes to God and his call on your life. Do you trust him enough to trust him with the needs that are breaking your heart right now? Do you trust him enough to, try to give it to him and then do what he says to do? Even if you're not sure what comes next. Do you trust him enough to take it to him in prayer? Believing that he can. It's up to him whether he will, but we need to believe that he can. Do you trust him enough to say, I could use a little help? Not just from him, but from one another. As we close this morning, I'm going to ask you to really think through that. Do you trust him? Enough to hand your needs to him. Enough to hand your future to him. Enough to hand your fears and your dreams to him.
whatever they may be. If you do, I encourage you, write them down, stick them up there. The Lord, here it is. I'm trusting you with it. There's nothing magic about this board. Nothing magic except Velcro's kind of magic. But other than that, there's nothing magic about that. But trusting him is. Saying, here it is, Lord, and church family, here it is. I'm trusting you with my needs. And then also, do you trust him enough? Do you trust his family enough to say, pray with me, pray for me? Byron, buddy, would you come up here? Many of you heard Byron's story last week. He was recently diagnosed with ALS. Got baptized last week. And when we met to talk about this, he said, I don't know if I can get in there, but I I, want to get baptized. And I think my exact words were, whatever it takes, we'll get you in there. He laid himself out in front of us as a church body. He said, I'm trusting him. But he also said, I trust you with my life. I felt some this week. Jody's just been overwhelmed with the thought. We need to pray for his healing. It's up to God if he will. But I believe he can. As we close this morning, I'm going to ask some of the men who believe to come up and lay hands on Byron. Some of you men who know Christ and you trust him. Just to come as his church family. Lay hands on him and we're going to pray. Praying for God's will. And until he shows us differently, we're praying for Byron's healing. And the rest of you, just as uh, they practiced this in the Old Testament, that when they weren't next, they just reached out their hand, symbolically putting your hand upon Byron as we pray, just right where you are. Just reach your hand out if you believe. Oh, Father, thank you for loving us so much that you gave your life for us. Thank you for loving us so much. You showed us the way. And last Sunday, Byron declared publicly in here and online to hundreds, maybe thousands, that he believes in you and trusts you with his life. Now, Lord, to be honest, we don't like this diagnosis. We don't like what it's done and is doing. But Lord, because we love you and we trust you, we lift our brother to you right now. Jesus, we pray for your touch upon his life. That you would guide him while this is happening. But Lord, our prayer is that you would heal him from this. Not for our glory or his, but for your glory. And Lord, I pray for 
Monica, his wife, and I pray for his kids. Lord, that you would be so close to them that they can feel your presence each and every day. And Lord, as we lift him to you, as we pray this bold prayer, Lord, we believe you can. Lord, we believe you can. We desire that you will, but we do leave that in your hands. And Lord, I pray that each one that is gathered here, these that are up front, those that are reaching out their hands now would commit to praying for Byron in the days, weeks to come, especially as you bring him to their mind. We don't have to know anything. Just bring him to our mind and we promise to pray. Lord, we are brothers. We are in the family together and one of our families hurting, so we lift them to you. And Lord, I pray these things in faith believing. Lord, I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.